In the kitchen, I set up my cake decorating area. Cake, offset spatulas, heavy cream, sugar owls. I hefted the KitchenAid mixer onto the countertop and attached the whisk. I felt certain that I was the first person to use the mixer since Brody's late wife. I processed this over a sad, shaky breath and set to work whipping the cream with renewed determination to make sure this woman's daughter had the cake she could no longer make. I spooned in small amounts of vanilla and confectioner's sugar until it was just right. Margot watched with big hazel eyes as I smoothed thick dollops of whipped cream over the chocolate cake layers and grinned as I nestled the sugar owls and snowflakes and happy 10th birthday Margot lettering atop the cake. The first guests arrived. The girls ran into the kitchen to see the cake and let out a chorus of happy squeals. Welcome to My Family Recipe. I'm Arti Menon, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to this brand new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. We all know that good food is worth a thousand words, sometimes more. So in each episode, we'll delight in a much-loved heirloom recipe and hear the delicious story behind it. Today, I'm welcoming Lisa Ruland, a food writer, a professional baker, and someone I'm thrilled to now call a friend. Back in December of 2020, Lisa published her column of My Family Recipe. Six years earlier, in 2014, her husband Eric passed away in a tragic accident. Lisa writes about how chocolate cake, a festive treat if there ever was one, brought about unlikely healing through grief. It's an essay that, as a reader said, traverses a spectrum of emotional experiences, ranging from unspeakable tragedy and life-altering grief to remarkable resilience, recovery, and hope. As readers, and I'm counting myself as one, we cried, then smiled, then wanted to make the cake. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. The loss of your husband turned your life upside down. And for a time, it also really changed your relationship with food and cooking. Can you tell us what your relationship to food was before this trauma and how it changed in the aftermath? Yeah, um, I had never really experienced grief prior to my husband's sudden death. And at the time, he um, and I were both great eaters and um, shared meals together, enjoyed going out to eat. And I, in addition to just enjoying cooking and eating in generally, I was also a full-time food editor in New York. So my entire professional life, and I think many food lovers might be able to relate to this, a fair amount of my uh, personal life revolved around food or eating or thinking about what I was going to eat next or what was inspiring at the farmer's market. Um, when he died, all of that just stopped. And I actually was surprised at just how much. And I think that that experience for me of grief affecting my relationship with food happened on multiple levels. Um, there was the professional level because suddenly a recipe um, 
it didn't matter anymore. Food didn't matter anymore. I remember I was working on some articles about how to properly store fresh herbs. And I just remember thinking, who cares? You know, he's dead. Um, But also food is really tied into the grieving process because of how physical grief is. And that is something I also did not know, but uh, it, it, you really can be physically sick with grief, whether it's um, feeling just really muddle-headed or tired, or, you know, a lot of people, certainly I just felt very weak. Your immune system uh, doesn't work as well. There's all kinds of physical changes that happen in the grieving process, actually. And I really lost my appetite. I lost weight. And it was really kind of remarkable. And it took months before I was able to work back into my love of food and eating. One way that you found support was by connecting with Brody, a friend of a friend who was going through a very similar experience. You write about swapping notes on insomnia, but also having a friend to talk to about ordinary things like books and movies. What did it mean to you in your grieving process to connect with someone who could share the experience of the loss of a partner? I think it was as or more important than any kind of grief counseling or anything else I went through because I think a lot of times in life when we go through hard things, we just kind of want someone to get it with us, not necessarily to fix it for us or make it seem okay. You just want someone to be, see you and to be in it alongside you. And um, I think that the young widowed person community um, is a, is a special one. And there's more of us sadly than you think. Um, But I think there's something maybe that felt a little alien and lonely, especially lonely to me as a young widow. Um, I don't think that's what people typically think of when they think of a widowed person. Um, So meeting Brody, who was going also through his own widowhood at the same time, it was just really nice to be able to just kind of complain together and have bad days at the same time. And then uh, eventually we just, you know, because that wasn't the sum total of us, we also just kind of started talking about normal things too. And and so that was also very nice. And in the course of that, I, I learned about his daughter, Margot. Yes, I was just going to say, so eventually you met Brody's little girl, Margot. And Brody, I guess, who by now knew that you had previously been a pastry chef, asked you to bake her a birthday cake. Um, and you decided to use your mother's recipe for a chocolate cake and put a whole lot of love into the decorations for Margot. Tell us about why you picked this particular cake. Well, I think there are two reasons I picked this specific cake. Oh, three, actually. One is Margot wanted a chocolate cake for her birthday. But then the question became, well, which chocolate cake am I going to bake? And out of all the cakes in the world, the one that I immediately honed in on was my mom's chocolate cake for two reasons. One, I really was still very shaky with my cooking and baking. Um, 
as someone who used to craft fairly elaborate wedding cakes, I had just kind of found that the screaming process, which was still very raw, just kind of made me feel very clumsy and stupid and I very forgetful in ways. So I didn't necessarily trust myself um, to bake anything complicated yet. And the other reason is that I, the whole reason that I was baking this cake for Margot was because her mother was no longer there to bake it for her. And I was very conscious of how, how important that was. And I wanted to honor Margot. And I also wanted to honor Margot's mother. And in so doing, I decided to use my own mother's cake. And so it was this kind of like bond of mothers that I think I was, I was really drawing a line between. I just wanted to ask you, so as, as a baker, how did it feel to physically be back at it? Um, for listeners who don't know what grief brain is, tell us a little bit about why that can impact your ability to do something like bake, something that came so naturally to you before. Yeah. So grief brain, I don't know if that's a term that's in a official science textbook, but I think it's kind of just commonly used to describe just the effect that grieving has on not just your emotions. Of course, there's the feeling of sadness, the feeling of loss, anger, all those things, but just kind of this fuzzy headed fishbowl quality where you're just kind of not quite thinking all the way there. And there's actually scientific reason for that. Um, I've read a very interesting article once talking about how the blood flow in your brain actually changes um, to go to different places that could support this deep emotional trauma that you're trying to heal from. And as a consequence, certain other areas kind of take a bit of a hit. So I, a lot of times would just feel very fuzzy headed or confused. I would lose my train of thought. I would be forgetful of a lot of things. And so that all leads, at least for me, led to a great loss of self-confidence in all respects, but especially baking. Um, and so I think the sense of purpose that I felt in this cake instead of feeling stressful or like pressure actually felt like an encouragement for me. And it kind of was like a little bit of like wind beneath my cake wings, so to speak. And uh, it, it kind of did kind of sharpen my focus at a time when I really needed it. So, so in that way, I think Margot's cake helped me. So Lisa, some years ago, you created the Food and Grief Project which is essentially a platform for people to share their experiences of food and grief. You yourself have written about it often. In fact, side note, I urge listeners to read a piece you wrote for the Post back in 2018, I want to say, called A Widow's Food Guide to Grief. Um, very, very poignant piece. Um, how do you view that power of food to help us sort of process our emotions, be a marker in our lives, and help us better tell our stories? I think food can serve so many important functions, uh, specifically in grief. It is a way to nourish us, physically nourish us, 
at a time when we just are feeling so weak and so sad and so maybe incapable of nourishing ourselves well, having food maybe brought to us or, or shared with us is incredibly valuable. I also think food serves a really important purpose of connecting us to one another. And it might be an act of love that a neighbor or family member shares, you know, a meal with you um, as a gesture. But it also, there might be a certain recipe or a certain dish or a certain meal or a certain food memory that can link you very, very tangibly in a very unique way, I think, to the person that you lost. And so for me, the Food and Grief Project is just kind of a platform um, where people can just, I, I have a full list of all of the articles about food and grief that I've ever come across in the hopes that maybe if someone saw that and it resonated with them, it would help. But also just a way, you know, where people can talk about the food that connects them to someone that they've loved and lost. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, Five Stages of Grief are such a part of our understanding of, of loss. And David Kessler, who is an expert on grief and loss, had an additional stage of grief to add after working extensively in the field. And that sixth stage or step is meaning. How have you, through food and your new family, found meaning? through your immense loss? I think David Kessler's wonderful. I actually had the privilege of attending a grief seminar with him um, several years ago, and I just took so much from it. Um, in terms of finding meaning in my loss, uh, I do think that one of the good things that has happened through my grief is finding a way to help other people in theirs. And that is a skill, if you will, that I otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and so I do find meaning in the ability to kind of put my vulnerability and my experience out there um, just because, like I said, I do think it's helpful sometimes just for any of us to feel seen or have someone kind of get it. Um, and so I feel like if I can just kind of put out what I went through, maybe someone could similarly maybe read something and say like, oh, yes, me too. Um, and one thing I've really come to learn from this is that somehow life finds a way of being okay again eventually maybe not in the way we ever expected or ever planned, but somehow life can regain a new equilibrium and it takes time, And but your life will continue to always have meaning and your loss will have meaning. It'll never be okay, but it will have meaning. I think it's wonderful that you say that because I remember looking through reader comments and I think that the, the predominant thing I walked away with was, and, and if you remember, there's a lot of people commenting in there, uh, people who've, who've lost, lost loved ones of their own. And I, I remember thinking in all this, in this 
fog of sadness and and I I still walked away feeling like the thing that readers left with was the sense of resilience and hope. We'll be back to continue our conversation with Lisa and one very special guest after a short break. Hi, I'm Dylan Hoyer, Heritage Radio Network's communications manager and a producer of this podcast. HRN is an independent, member-supported, non-profit podcast network. We have more than 35 weekly podcasts, each exploring a different corner of the food world. If you're enjoying My Family Recipe, we have a few more culinary listens to add to your podcast diet. HRN's flagship show, Meet in 3, is a great place to get started. It features four segments each week, one deep dive and three shorts that will get you introduced to the stories we love to tell at HRN. There's also Speaking Broadly, an interview show highlighting brilliant, curious, game-changing women hosted by Dana Cowan, the former longtime editor-in-chief of Food & Wine. Or you might enjoy Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. The hosts are mother and son, but also award-winning celebrity chefs, restaurateurs, and cookbook authors. Aron Sanchez and Zarela Martinez take listeners on a culinary journey featuring regional ingredients that are the soul of Mexican cuisine. Listen to those podcasts wherever you're listening now, or visit heritageradionetwork.org to browse our library of 35 weekly shows and more than 15,000 archived episodes. Start exploring at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to my family recipe. Two years after that birthday party with the chocolate cake, the chocolate cake, Lisa married Brody and Margot became her stepdaughter. We're very lucky today to have Margot join us. Hi. Margot, do you remember describing what cake you wanted to Lisa as clearly as she remembers it? I do. I remember, I think I was in the basement of our old house and she kind of just asked like, what sorts of things I liked. And I said, I don't know, I loved owls. I loved glitter. I loved, you know, pink and blue. Those were some of my favorite things. And I didn't have a specific vision, but I knew I would love for the cake to involve something along those lines and did. What is that first chocolate cake with an owl on it? I love owls. I'm quite excited that as a 10 year old, that's what you wanted on your cake. What does that first chocolate cake with an owl on it represent in your memory? I don't know. I think when you have like a parent or someone pass away, I think a lot of the time the focus goes to sort of big things in your life that are disrupted. And I mean, rightfully so, but also I think some of the biggest impact can be in the little things like who's going to make my birthday cake and who's going to decorate it. And so I think just having such a wonderful cake and so nicely decorated was just really, I don't know, it was a nice kind of sense of stability. And I loved meeting Lisa and having her in my life. And I loved the cake. Lisa, I know you remember Margot's 10th birthday as a day that you felt genuinely happy. What felt like happiness after a very long time. What else do you both recall from that day? 
I remember feeling a little awkward in a way because I think at the time Brody and I were just friends, but I had I didn't have children of my own. And then I felt like I was kind of in this kind of in medias res of how parenting works, just kind of dropped in, in a way. Um, so I felt like, oh, there's like real kids coming over to a real kids pizza birthday party and I'm doing the cake. And it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, the girls were just like so funny, her friends and we just had a blast. And uh, I just remember feeling like I was adulting in a whole new way than I had ever adulted before, just doing things, you know, involving helping take care of kids and, and, and that kind of thing. Oh, and I also remember going ice skating and being really bad at it, but Margot helped me out and held my hands. It was very warm, I think. It was like, I feel like there were people ice skating in short sleeves. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those weird winter days that I think you get sometimes. Margot, what do you remember? I remember most of my memories of that party are just having a lot of fun and being able to hang out with my friends. And I loved having this wonderful cake. I don't know. It felt, it was nice to feel like it felt normal. It felt like a normal birthday party, um, which I think is kind of what I wanted and what I needed. And it was really nice. So I just, I mostly have happy memories from that day. And I remember not being allowed to see the cake until it was, you know, brought out with the candles and everything. And I was mad about that because everyone else got a sneak peek and I was very excited to see it. Did you have any inkling whatsoever that Lisa and, and your dad would fall in love and we'd be here, you know, so many years later talking about it? No, I had no, no. And I don't know, I think it felt very natural when it did happen, but that wasn't something that I had, I don't think I had like a big inkling of or really thought about in the moment. I was just like, I'm going to go with the flow. <laughs> I'm enjoying. So I'm curious, how many cakes have there been since then? And what sorts of decorations have ended up on those? I think there have been seven, counting that one. And always chocolate, always chocolate. I've sort of, sometimes I think I like the chocolate and the whipped cream. Sometimes I think whipped cream is not always the most practical um, form of icing. So we've done some Swiss butter creams in the past, which is kind of close to whipped cream because I'm not a huge like frosting frosting person, but they've definitely <laughs> run the gamut. I remember, I think maybe it was then for my 11th birthday, I had this huge, wonderful music note cake. It was pink and sparkly. It was shaped like a, like a quarter note. Um, there's been a movie themed cake. Um, sprinkle cakes. Yeah. Had a big variety. We usually have a bit of a of like a cake decorating meeting before when her birthday's coming up and we talk about if she has any specific inspiration this year or or what she's feeling. So mm -hmm. yeah. The film cake was a lot of fun to do. I did like a, an old Hollywood spool of film and just kind of the ribbon of film coming off the cake. That was a fun one. I liked when you did that. And then you guys all went down to see Star Wars, right? Yeah, we saw Rogue One. Has there ever been a request that's been particularly daunting? Uh, luckily, she's she's kept it she's kept it um, 
blessedly realistic for my <laughs> my abilities. So she hasn't had me have to like carve a life size uh, statue of her or anything like that out of cake yet. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> but every year it's a lot of fun to make and and a lot of fun to you know talk through with her. Although now Margot has a job at a French patisserie. So I don't know if that means I have competition or I'll keep making the birthday cake. Hopefully I'll get to keep making the cake. So Lisa, this, this as we've discussed before, was um, actually your mum's cake recipe and, and one that she brought out regularly for your birthdays and other special events. I always say that birthday food can often be some of our most prominent food memories. Um so I love that you made this cake for Margot on her birthday. Uh, but I'd love to ask you, actually, Lisa, what some of your own birthday food memories are. Well, I am going to admit something important, which is actually, Margot knows where I'm going with this. I, mm-hmm, I actually do not have cake on my birthday. I am a, oh. I know, I am a true believer in the birthday pie. So since I was very little, I would always have apple pie on my birthday and my mom would make me a homemade apple pie. So that is what I have on my birthday. But if I had to pick a cake, it would probably be carrot cake. Um, And so, but food memories I have of my birthday growing up, you know, it's always comes back to family meals for me always. And I grew up in, uh, my mother is Italian American. And so we had this great tradition of like the big Sunday meal and we called it gravy. Um, you know, other people call it sauce, but we'd always have this big Sunday gravy meal with meatballs and sausage and brujol and, you know, rigatoni and, and all the fixins. And then she would fry up like eight pounds of chicken cutlets too, just in case that wasn't enough food. And then we'd have my pie. And uh, so, so it always comes back to that, but also all the people sitting around, eating it too, and just kind of talking over one another in this really convivial, fun way. And and that's, to me, that like Sunday gravy dinner slash birthday gravy dinner is just inextricably linked to the people around the table eating it with me and just that feeling of family that comes along with it. I absolutely agree. I think with, you know, with family recipes, it's never just about the dish. These dishes really are made up of memories of memories of love and longing and feeling protected and connected and um, you know memories of hope and um, they can sort of help us feel connected, help us celebrate certain people in our lives and and you know our shared history. So it's I agree. Um, family food memories are are often more sensory than any other because they're so symbolic of other meaning and and emotions and events and people. Um, Do you bake regularly now, Lisa? I, I I have an inclination you do. I do remember seeing an end of summer peach pound cake on your Instagram fairly recently, but, but tell us, are you, are you baking a lot? Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so which now we have the one-two punch of all my baking with Margot bringing home tasty treats from the bakery where she <laughs> works. But yeah, I am. I'm baking um, and it's it's great. And so we actually have the remainder of an apple crisp uh, currently downstairs in the kitchen. 
And yeah, so yeah, I'm always baking something and the cook the cookie jar is looking lonely right now, but usually there's something in there. Margo just baked some pumpkin cookies actually recently. So, and she's, uh, she's, she, she's, uh, you know, she's a good baker also. Poor Brody. I feel like it's a blessing and a curse for him because we always have some baked goods around at all times. I mean, if you have them around, you've got to eat them and that's his, that's his job. Margo, do you ever join uh, Lisa in the kitchen? I do. I love, especially baking. Um, I love baking with her. I think it's really fun. I don't know. It's like a fun bonding activity, but also, I don't know. I just love, I love dessert and I love making it too. I don't know. I think I like the instant gratification of cookies, but since they usually take less amount of time to bake, but I'd say cake is probably my favorite dessert. And, you know, I just want to say, this is hard to even say, but you're now in your junior year of high school, which seems incredible because in my head, you're frozen as the 10-year-old wearing an oversized sweater with blue pom-poms on it. What do birthdays look like for you uh, these days now that you're not that 10-year-old and now that you're almost ready to leave home? Tell us what what you'd love your birthday to be like this year. I know last year was probably a bit of a washout. Give us a sense of what you'd like your birthday to look like this year. I mean, I feel like my birthdays haven't really changed. I still, I like to have like a nice family dinner so whether I celebrate, I like to celebrate with friends, but whether it's on my, I used to always want to do it on my actual birthday, except now sometimes it's nice to kind of just do more of a low key family dinner um, on my actual birthday and then see friends sometime around then. And I usually have the cake on that day on my like party day. So everyone, everyone can partake and then maybe do something else or not even have dessert or just have a little cupcake or something on my actual birthday. But yeah, I'm excited for this year to be able to, you know, have a big, cause I had my sweet 16 last year, but it was in COVID, which we still had a really fun time, but <laughs> sad. <laughs> I know. Maybe you can redo um, with double the intention and double the enthusiasm and double the cake. Exactly. Yes. Just extra, extra large, four layers. <laughs> extra extra large maybe even a bake-off sweet 17 it's the new sweet 16 is there anything that either of you would like to add before we sign off i take my role as a stepmom very seriously and i love margo so much and i am always very conscious of um her mother will always be her mother. And I think that sometimes there's a idea that um, I've somehow replaced her mother or things are fixed now that she has a stepmother. And it's important for me to just put out there that I think when you lose a parent, you always lose that specific parent. And so my role as a stepmom is to be the best Lisa that I can be and be her Lisa and be her stepmom and her mother will always be her mother. And part of my way of honoring her mom and Margo as well is to just, um, you know, A, make her eat her vegetables, right, Margo? <laughs> but, you know, just love her all the way up that I can and making your birthday cake every year is, is a true honor 
and a privilege for me and brings a lot of joy to my life. I love your birthday cakes. I think they're the best ever. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, that was so sweet. Also love that you're still harping on about the, the vegetable eating on her birthdays, Lisa. I know you mentioned it in, in the essay as well. And, you know, you're, you're, you're trying your hardest to sort of make her birthday feast as healthful as possible. And it's just, you know, I just want the balance. That's all. It's a running theme. But Margot's a great eater. She's good about her fruits I and like vegetables. vegetables. <laughs> you do. You do. But it never hurts to make sure that you've eaten some that day. That's what moms do. Thank you for listening to My Family Recipe. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review so we know what you think of our delicious stories. Special thanks for this episode to Lisa Ruland and Margot Ruland. You can find Lisa's essay in our show notes. My Family Recipe is produced by Dylan Hoyer and Hannah Forden. Our Julia Child Foundation Fellow is Kelly Spivey. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Coral Lee is Food52 Podcast Network's producer. Our theme song is Vitoro by Aeronaut. This show is a collaboration between Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. There's much more to read and listen to. Find even more stories at foodfive2.com and heritageradionetwork.org. <laughs>